0: We left off in Philemon four, I think, verse four. Four to seven, where Paul gives thanks. Uh, He thanks God for Philemon's love and and for his faith. Uh, Verses four to seven, let's read it real quick. It says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So in Philemon um, 4, Paul transitions from a greeting to thanksgiving, you know, he, he conveys You know, how he thanks God always when he prays for Philemon. Um, As the apostle to the Gentiles, you know, and to the Gentile nation, Paul labored to fulfill this calling that he had through, through prayer, through intercessory prayer for the people. And it didn't matter where he was at or what was going on. I mean, he was in prison here and he's still interceding and praying for the saints, for the churches, for the Gentiles. So a question for you guys, what does Philemon 4 imply about Paul's view of the significance of intercessory prayer, you know, for the gospel advancement? What do you guys think? Well,
1: maybe maybe one of the things is... is it's the focus that we're going to give. Um, so when, when we intercede uh, for somebody or for a cause or for in this case, the spread of the gospel, let's just say um, we're, we're focusing our attention, our prayer, um, our petition before the Lord for a specific thing. Um, it's like a sniper um, you're going for, for directing. And so I, I think that that's a, um, I think that, that could be part of it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Anybody else want to add? I'll add a little bit then. Um, You know, Paul's thanking God always. So for me, this implies like, you know, that Paul sees prayer as like one of the most important things that we can do. You know, it was important in his ministry. It should be very important in our ministry as well. You know, this should be important also for, you know, the ministry of the fellow workers in the gospel. Like we should always be praying for each other. We should always be praying for the church worldwide, locally, you know, it's one body. So I, I see Paul pray a lot He's always praying for the churches and for the saints. So for me, since that word always is in there, you know, it kind of implies to me that, that he sees prayer as one of the most important things we can do. I kind of see it as an honor too, because it's always like, who doesn't want to go to their father and just spend time with your pops, you know? Well, I guess I should say Heavenly Father, because some regular dads, some people might not really like their dads too much, but... We're talking about a holy, righteous, and perfect father. So. Right, let's continue then. Uh, commentators agree that Philemon 6 is central to the letter. Um, they also agree that it's notoriously difficult to translate. So there's been a lot of back and forth on this. Um, I kind of like how the NLT put it. So... I don't know how accurate the translation is. Remember the NLT does like a paragraph at a time. So they try to to get the gist of the meaning. So it's not as literal, but I, I think it gives a little bit of clarity. And the NLT says, and I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things that we have in Christ. So most translations will use like may become effective. So let's read, I'll give you the ESV. The ESV says, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So it it seems like Paul's praying that the partnership or that the fellowship here brought about by faith might once again become effective. You know, in Philemon's life, individuals who place their faith in Christ are, are brought into a, a mutual union, you know, a, a family relationship that we have now uh, with other believers. And within this fellowship, the obligation to love one another is something that reigns supreme. You know, it's one of those virtues that we're told that we should have. Uh, Colossians 3.14, if you guys remember, said, above all this, put on love. Right, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So it's that love that that is going to keep the body together. It's that love that's going to let the world know that we are followers of Christ. That you know, we are His children. If we love each other and, and love the church. <clears throat> so on this reading of Paul's expressed prayer, um, how might Paul be laying the foundation for the appeal that he is about to make? Concerning the runaway slave, Onesimus, you know, that we're going to read about later. What do you guys think? But
1: repeat the question
0: once again. So how, how might Paul be laying the foundation for the appeal, you know, through this express prayer that he just made? How do you think that's going to lead into, you know, the foundation that's going to lead into his appeal concerning the runaway slave, Onesimus?
1: Yeah, one one of the things is like you said. This this is a um, a lot of people. This is central to the to the letter, this this text. I think that's what you said. And and it also, you know, people differ a little bit on wording. They're good thing you read different versions because that's that's good. Um, that that helps out especially like the NLT and IV to give you a more a dynamic uh, of the a dynamic version of the what the meaning is, not just word by word, because it's it, it could be a little bit harder. But one of the things is is just a, the the two parts, which is um, the fellowship, which is koinonia. So that fellowship, so when he, as he's, as he's building into, um, as Paul's building into his letter, um, you know, that's important because he's drawing them to the attention of, uh, you know, I pray that the koinonia of your faith may become effective. So I pray that this, that this is the true gathering of the saints, the true fellowship of the saints that is ordained by God. Uh, another way he he's he's making the appeal. He's starting with the, with the notion of this is the this is the gathering of the Lord, um, and um, and when he says that you know I'm reading the, obviously the NASB become effective through the knowledge, of every good thing, you know that it's you know it's a bit um, you know wordy there. It depends on the versions, um, but one of the things is is our you know let me put it in a practical way our koinonia, so our true fellowship. Is not going to be demonstrated just by words, but by every good deed, by every good work, by how we live our lives. Um, so I, I think Paul is 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 about to drive the nail home, and and so he's um, you know he's appealing to them as you know this is the gathering of the saints. This is um, you know fellowship is not hanging out at Denny's, you know uh, although it can involve that you know or or going to play golf or it's mm-hmm. much deeper than that. Although it could involve these things. But that misses the point. The, the fellowship is is the, is when saints gather. is It's just partnership for for something greater than ourselves, and um, and it's demonstrated by every good thing that we do, every good work. Because every good thing comes from the Father above. Um, now, from us, in a sense. Um, so, you know, that can kind of help a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think he hit it right on the nail. That's, that's the foundation he's kind of trying to prepare. Cause we're talking about a runaway slave, you know, this guy left um, a slave and master relationship was a lot different than a brother in Christ, you know, and he's now coming back as a Christian, you know, as a brother in Christ, not just a runaway slave. So I think he's laying that foundation and getting ready, like you said, to bring that hammer to the nail and drive it home. Um, so he can receive him back in love the way that we're supposed to love the brothers you know so yeah anybody else want to add
1: anything yeah definitely benji good
0: job All right, let's continue then. In Philemon 5 and 7, Paul expresses his joy over the love that Philemon had shown other members of the family of God in the past. You know, and by this love, Philemon had refreshed, as it said, the hearts of those in need within the fellowship. So, with this mention of Philemon's past acts of love on behalf of needy members of the church, um, how do you guys think Paul continues to lay this foundation for his appeal?
1: Uh, I lost the train of thought to brother. Say
0: it again. <laughs> so, with the mention of his past acts of love in f- verses five and seven, where he's telling them, "Hey, you've refreshed me," you know, oh, yeah. "You have refreshed my hearts. You've refreshed the hearts of those in need within the fellowship." How is that laying that foundation also um, for that appeal that he's going to make? You know, now that he's a partaker of the fellowship in the Messiah,
1: he's telling them that. To uh, not forget how they, they have been doing everything in love from before that, and like once one Seamus returns, that there's no reason for them to not continue doing it the same way.
0: Yeah, definitely. Anybody else want to add anything?
1: Yeah, because if he heard of their love, it's because they're you know obviously they were very loving people right you know yeah you know so the te- their testimony was very good you know when he, they hear of this uh, agape right this unconditional love is important cuz again that he's, in a, he's 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 going to make a plea for a brother but he appeals to that that love you know basically he's um he's um he's he's uh, um how do you put this um it's like when somebody says good things to you before they give you um, the harder news You know Before they You know For example Some people will compliment you Before they criticize you You know yeah. Say You know For example They'll say Oh you're, you're You know You're a good uh, teacher You know You're consistent In the word Blah 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 And then At the end they will be like You know I just want to let you know That when you were preaching You kind of messed up here And um, you got the verse wrong This Sunday But you know But you're doing alright So they They, they kind of prep the way For the criticism <laughs> And so uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, that's, I'm not saying that's what he was doing, but, you know, that, that could be, you know, he appeals to their love that they have. Then you guys have this agape love, this true, genuine, unconditional love. So I'm going to let you know a couple things So make sure that you actually continue in that love.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yep. Anybody else? I think you guys hit it right on the nail ain't really much more to add to that. Um, I mean, Paul definitely feels that joy, you know, uh, and the comfort that he has from the brothers and knowing that the saints are, are being treated in that way with that true love. Okay. So let's look at, um, in these verses, we can see some glimpses of the gospel. We see grace, right? In the formal greeting of most of his letters, Paul wishes for and blesses the recipients with grace. Uh, In so doing, the apostle has transformed the standard, you know, Greco-Roman salutation that they used to give into a Christian formulated one. Um, And it's grounded in the cross of Christ. Uh, Grace is defined as, you know, divine unmerited favor, right? And the word encompasses that idea as well. So with Paul, the term also often means like divinely granted enabling power, which is kind of what he's using here. Uh, Such grace empowers a disciple or a community of disciples, you know, and it it empowers them to live a life that's fully pleasing to God. You know, Paul prays grace for Philemon um, as well as for the church that meets in his house, you know, that they may have those hearts that respond uh, lovingly to the appeal that he is about to make concerning the runaway slave, uh, Onesimus. We also see love, love very central, right? According to Philemon 4-7, love is an overflow of faith in Christ, you know, and this recognizes that the community of fellowship is created by that faith and it seeks to meet the needs of the community, you know, through love that love refreshes the tired souls, it yeah, produces joy, it produces comfort in everyone who experiences that love. So the ultimate demonstration of love was exhibited at the cross, obviously, right, where Christ died to set us free from sin and death, and he reconciled us to God. You guys know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have an eternal life. Also like Romans 5.8, we see, you know, God shows his steadfast love for us that while we were still sinners, you know, Christ died for us. So we see love also in these, in those verses four to seven. We also see God, you know, connecting the Bible together. In verse four, Paul writes, I thank my God always. So my God. Right, that phrase my God hints at the personal relationship that the apostle enjoyed and he experienced with God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the the apostles probably echoing language of the Old Testament here, um, especially like the language that we see in the Psalms. If we read the Psalms, we see that personal, like very, my God, you know, very personal. The Psalmist always uses that my God, my Lord, Um, The phrase occurs more than 50 times, and that reveals, you know, that personal relationship that the psalmist had with God that we can now enjoy as well. So, that's one of the things we see also. We also see the Lord Jesus, right? We see the Old Testament hope that included the day when the God's Messiah would reign, you know, over all the nations of the earth. And in Psalm 2, we get like a, a very nice description of this future role uh, rule let's go to psalm 2 real quick and let's read it so psalms two. okay i'm gonna read esv it says why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the lord and against his anointed saying So some call this a royal psalm. And it's concerning the, the uh, Davidic king that was to come. It envisions this this day when the Messiah, right, would, would extend the kingdom of God all over the nations and over all of the earth. So we see Christ is king. All right? we can compare Psalm 2 with Acts 4, verses 25 to 26. So Acts 4, 25 to 26, it says... Who through the mouth of your father David your servant said by the Holy Spirit why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed Um, like verse 27 so let's read it real quick for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus so it makes it real clear right there whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Also, uh, Acts 13, verse 33, Acts 13, 33, says this, he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. All right, so since Jesus is the world's true Lord, you know, not Caesar, Philemon must not make his decisions concerning one seamless as a typical subject of Caesar any longer. He must make it in light of the world's true Lord and his way of love and reconciliation, which is a message of Christ. So we also see uh, how faith is effective, right? We see effective faith. While works are to be shunned in terms of how one enters into And then sustains this saving relationship with Christ, right? Because we're saved through grace, Not, not any kind of work at all. It's also true that it is the nature of faith, though, to work. So because of our faith and because of what Christ has done, the grace he's given us, we should have good works. He's prepared good works for us to do, so we should have works that go in accordance with our faith. You know, Paul wrote that he labored to bring about the obedience of faith. Right, meaning that he made every effort to make disciples whose faith would express itself in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, look at Romans 1.5. Romans 1.5 says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Also Romans 15, Romans 15 verse 18 it says, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. By word and deed. Romans 16, verse 26. Romans 16, 26. But has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about... The obedience of faith, obedience, and you know also James. Uh, James teaches us that that faith, that a faith that doesn't work is dead. Right? It says faith without works is dead. So faith always works. It works itself out in the life of love. When we are loving, we're going to be doing good things for other people. It's just going to work out that way. Uh, Galatians 5, 6, Galatians 5, verse 6, says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So only faith working through love. And that's how we see it work out. So in Philemon 6, you know, Paul prays uh, that Philemon's faith will once again become effective in love towards the needy members of the fellowship. So we see faith working in love, right? As we will see also, Paul has in mind Philemon's own runaway slave. we we'll we're gonna see that a little there later. later. <clears throat> and then the brother brought up koinonia. Koinonia. So the Oxford Dictionary uh, defines it as Christian fellowship or communion with God or more commonly with fellow Christians. So by virtue of his or her faith in the Messiah, Jesus, a disciple is brought into a lasting bond of fellowship, mutual relationship with other disciples. This fellowship involves both privileges and it involves obligations. You know, this kind of fellowship is characterized the early church from its beginning, from its inception. Acts two forty two says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers so they were devoted to this the apostles teachings fellowship breaking of bread and prayers right this is also energized you know by the shared faith that we all have in jesus as the crucified and resurrected lord you know for the world it also uh characterizes by active and united participation, like in the community and the mission that we all have, which should be the same mission, right? Go make disciples of all nations, preach the gospel, bring the kingdom of God to everyone. Um, It also entails that we share in the necessities of life. You know, when other people are within the fellowship, have some sort of need, we should be there to help each other out the best that we can. You know, and, and that's the bond that holds this koinonia together. And that bond is, is done in love, in love for one another, for the brethren. All right? Colossians 3.14, again, remember it says, and above all these, put on love, put on love. This binds everything together in perfect harmony. So and th- this is the type of fellowship that we should have as brothers, you know, and as the church and the body of Christ. So let's dig into Philemon uh, 8, 8 to 25. This will be the end of it here, 8 to 25. So after he greeted Philemon and the church that met at Philemon's house, right, in verses 1 to 3, Paul went on to thank God for Philemon, verses 4 to 7 we see. And Paul was aware that God was powerfully at work in Philemon's life at the time, you know, for Philemon had overflowed, we've seen with love toward needy members of the fellowship in the past. Um, And in light of these previous demonstrations of love, Paul begins his appeal concerning one Simus in the hope that Philemon will once again act in that same love that he had before. So let's read Philemon 8 to 12 excuse me, it says, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, one Simus, one Simus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. So once a useless runaway slave, one simus had become useful as a beloved brother, you know, and a treasured colleague of Christ. So Paul desires that one simus were with him to continue to assist him in his apostolic ministry. He said he'd love to keep him, but he's got to send them back for reconciliation, He knows this is and the me. right thing to do. Um. What did you say Anthony? In
1: my thing, I went on the
0: Bible Bible Gateway. Um yeah. it said one sinus and um useful. Had become useful. Is that what you said? No, it says that one sinus um means useful. Uh oh, little side note, okay. Well, amen. Now he's living up to his name. <laughs> Let's keep going. Philemon 13 and 14. Uh, it says, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your own accord. Now there is a problem when Simon had run away again from Philemon and probably also wronged him in some kind of way or another. And we see this um, in the next verses, 15 to 18. It says, for this perhaps is why he has parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. And then verse 18 says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Um, we're not 100% sure, but, you know, he's running away from his master. He's probably going to need some kind of money or food or something to survive. So most likely, Paul telling him, hey, if he wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to me. Does he? you know, most likely took some food or took some property to sell or something. So either way, one Simus and Philemon, they're estranged, they're broken apart, right? And Paul knows that to keep one Simus for ministry without being reconciled first between the two, you know, that would undermine the gospel message that he's been preaching, you know, the gospel of reconciliation. So Paul sends them back. He sends them back to Philemon. Now the attempt at reconciliation is definitely gonna be risky in this situation because Philemon, you know, he could refuse Paul's appeal. And legally, you know, under Caesar, obviously, he could severely punish one Seamus. You know, crucifixion could have even been possible in a situation like this, where the slave ran away from the master, especially if he stole something or something from him. So this is definitely risky you know so I think that's that's why Paul was pushing more of hey he's a brother now in Christ you know love and stuff so that's why he he does that my he is now my beloved brother who belongs to the family and the fellowship of faith you know he says that in verses 15 to 16 so if he's to remain faithful to the Lord Jesus you know Philemon He can no longer regard one Simus primarily according to the Roman master-slave relationship that they used to have, right? Philemon's going to have to regard him now first as his beloved brother in the family of Jesus Christ and the Messiah, right? So in light of this new reality, Paul makes his appeal. He says, receive him as you would receive me in verse 17. So let's read through it and we can see the picture before we dig in and start asking some questions. So, where do we leave off at? We read up to 18, right? So, I, Paul, write this, verse 19. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So again, the big picture is that Paul presents his appeal to Philemon concerning the runaway slave once Seamus, you know, and he's going to be asking Philemon, he's asking him to welcome him back, right, into the community of faith as if he were the Apostle Paul himself. So that's pretty deep. Excuse me. All right, so Paul begins his appeal in verses 8, right, 8 to 12. <clears throat> we'll read it again real quick, and then I want you guys to think about, um, uh, Why do you guys think Paul refrains from actually using his apostolic right to command Philemon to do what is required? So let's read 8 to 12 real quick. It says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, one Seamus whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. And then 13 and 14 to add to the question to help you get like clarity. It says, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. So why do you guys think Paul refrains from using that apostolic right to command Philemon to do what is required?
1: I think maybe because he is new to faith.
0: Say it again, because he what?
1: Because he's
0: new to the faith. Okay, because now he's a new brother in the faith. Yep. Anybody else?
1: I I think that Paul, um, because, you know, it says in verse 8 that therefore, so because of everything I was just saying right now, um, I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do that which is proper right so he could have like you said well why didn't he appeal to that and i think that he didn't have to i think he i think he um um he knew he knew that um um he didn't have to use that authority like he did probably in in, in other occasions because of who philemon was um and also you know when he by now he when he says um Since I am such a person as paul right the aged and now also a prisoner of christ look like man I've already, by the, you know, he's saying, look, man, I've already lived, I've already fought the fight, I've already proven myself that my words um, uh, are not empty, and so if I vouch for somebody, I'm assuming he vouched for other people, I'm assuming he did other, he's not like, it's kind of like Jesus, we, you know, we know that he didn't just do those miracles, but those are the only miracles registered in scripture, well, the same for Paul, I think Paul might, he might have stood up for a lot of people, that other people might have. Not stood up for so like the marginalized right because well, Onesimus is a fugitive slave, mm. That's basically what he is, he's yeah. a slave on the run. That, you know, first of all, you're a fugitive and you're a slave. You know, it it's just not good. You know, and then to have the Apostle Paul vouch for you, um, I, I and and not use his apostolic authority, uh, says something. Um, I think there's a message right there, of of of, of his. He was a man of his word you know, he was he was faithful um, and i think i think paul proved himself uh, i think that that's what happens when you serve god faithfully that you don't need to you don't need to say um you know um for example a pastor that says you know i'm, I'm your pastor so that's why you should be doing this you know um or or a so-and-so leader having to give you their credentials and their accolades before you know, I I'm a PhD. I'm a this. I'm a that. I went to this. I have all this experience. Whatever, this is why you need to do this. Um, you know, it just it, sometimes um, just who we are um, speaks um, speaks volume. Um, a man of character, of integrity, um, and so forth. So I think Paul um, he like he says he could have used it, but he didn't use it, um, which is pretty. You know pretty cool but it's just pretty interesting why and also like you said um you know he, it, it's just it, I think it's just a message in itself just that just that part
0: yeah definitely anybody else want to add I also think that perhaps he was modeling like understanding of the faith because if he had to use his authority then Philema wasn't really understanding the faith. So, he, so he, that's why he added, like, for, out of love. And he added other words to kind of let him know that, like, if you're learning something,
1: then it should have its fruits, which is, like, modeling how you should be as a Christian. So perhaps he was, like, Paul was thinking, if I
0: have to authorize you to do something, that means you're not learning. Yeah, that's a good point. Definitely. Anybody else got
1: anything to add? Let me add one more thing. Um, <laughs> I, I right. think this is, this goes in this goes in line with um um a lot of people are positional leaders and then there's spiritual leaders. All right, let me just make a quick distinction here what I'm trying to say by this, because it doesn't mean that you can you can be both, obviously. But but in this case, for example, there's a lot of people um, who who lead by position. So in other words, the only reason they have a th- the only reason um, they have any sort of authority is because of their title, their position, or their um, recognition. of the But it's not really because they're spiritual leaders. And 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 I and I think, for example, Paul right here obviously he's the apostle Paul. He he had a high position, um, that, that's not in question. But he didn't appeal to that. You know, he, he, in a sense, you know, he just, this is who I am. I'm your brother in Christ. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm the prisoner. I'm, I'm the aged Paul. Um, and, and I think that his life demonstrated spiritual leadership that did not need the title. Although the title was there, he didn't need it. Um, because this part is heavier than this part. Um, and that's what I can see in Paul's life. Because part of he always you know he uses things like the bond servant of Jesus Christ. I mean that's the like the lowest title mm-hmm. you can have. Yeah. You know, I, I I'm choosing to be a slave of Christ. He doesn't say I'm the great apostle Paul. You know, right? Uh, no, he just I'm, the, I'm I'm a servant of the Lord, and because of that, I come to you in love, or I come to you with this word of exhortation, or even a rebuke, um, uh, whatever it is. But he he appealed to the spiritual side. Not that the other one isn't important, it is important. Um, of course it has merit and it holds ground, but in, um, it's, just, uh, um, it's just good to see that in our lives uh, that in reality what makes us who we are, is who we are, <laughs> not who people say we are um, or whatever title they wanna give us or, or recognition. Cause there's a lot of that out there. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who lead and their authority is your title. But when you look at everything else, you're just like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess I'm going to do it because you have the so-and-so title, but not really because you demonstrate any of that. You know, kind of like when I was preaching on Sunday um, about, uh, you know, being examples and stuff. So I bet you want to drop that in there.
0: Yeah, kind of goes back to, like, what Carol was saying, too. We should model that, right? And he also, he's now your brother. I also imagined you know, I, I thought, hey, what if, if I force you to do something, and he's, he has that right, like you said, right, but that could bring up a lot of malice and anger, and that's something we should not have between the brothers, you know, he could be holding on to some grudge or something like, or I had to take him back, you know, things they stole from me, I mean, that would obviously show his heart, and we don't, I don't see that in the scripture. Philemon seems to be all about love and loving the brothers and everything. But, you know, I thought about that. I was like, I wonder, if you know, maybe that had some, he just did, he wanted him to make the choice and not be forced into somewhere later on. He would say, well, I wouldn't even take you back if it wasn't for Paul kind of deal, you know? So, and because we're all free in Christ, you know, we all got to make these choices. So I think that, I thought maybe that was another reason he might have left that choice up to Philemon. I mean obviously Paul knew he would do the right thing, you know, because he's proven himself and done it before. So yeah. Anybody else? There's a lot in that little bit right there. All right, let's see. Um so now Paul's preparing, right, to make that formal request. Um What do you guys think, how might his mention of his imprisonment and his old age, you think that might've helped to persuade Philemon to consent to the request at all? Remember Philemon 9 when you answer that, because it it says, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, remember? He says, I, Paul, an old man, I am now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Do you guys think that might've persuaded Philemon at all to consent to the request, yeah, I do bro, yeah, Benji says, yeah too, I think so too, man. There's always been uh Beatrice says, yeah, I think so yeah i'm I'm right there, I think you know yeah, respect. There you go, Anthony too, respect for elders, you know, also your brothers currently in prison, you know, I think that would definitely influence a little bit. Um, okay, another question, what does it mean that Paul became the father of one Onesimus? In, in Philemon 10, it says, I appeal to you for my child, one Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. What do you guys think?
1: I think that he's a spiritual father. I think that he, um, uh, he led him to the Lord, in a sense. Um, um, you know, that's that's what I can take of it. That um, before, obviously, if he's a fug- if he's a runaway slave and did somebody wrong, that's not a Christ-like attitude. So we can just assume that he was not a believer in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And and safely assume that. And then Paul found. Um, him, like Christ finds us, in a sense, and it's like a type of Christ, in and and um, well, we don't want to stretch it too much, so let's just it like that. But <laughs> he, so he finds, he finds him, and um, uh, and leads him to the Lord, and um, and now he's vouching for him, saying, you know, this this conversion was authentic. He is not no longer to be regarded as a slave, but he's now a free man. Not just that, but he's your brother in Christ.
0: Yeah. yeah. Beatrice said the same thing, man. spiritual father, definitely I'm on the same page with that. That's what I thought too. So how, in light of that, how was the once useless, one seen this, how can he become useful now? He became useful to Paul. Um, I think that um, it could become useful to Paul like he could be his brother that goes around um, telling people, helping him, going through towns, telling everyone about Christ. Okay, preaching the gospel, brother in Christ. Benji, what you got? I wasn't say that. <laughs>
1: okay, but like I was saying, more like he he's carrying Paul's words to different church leaders and stuff or like to Philemon specifically in this one. So like, it's a way for him, for Paul to still uh, evangelize in a sense. Since he's in prison, he can't go anywhere. So his word has to get out somehow.
0: Yep, Beatrice says the same thing. Yeah, definitely. You know, I I believe even though he was a slave, he's now a, a brother in Christ, you know, so. His usefulness now as a brother in Christ, I think, will far outweigh that temporary use that he had as a slave of just, like, cleaning up the house or doing, you know, our jobs around. Now now the slave is he's a slave to Christ instead. So now his mission is the gospel and the kingdom of God. And those all have eternal value, unlike the temporary value we get of just owning a slave. All right. So let's read uh, 13 and 14. This is the reason for the appeal, all desires to have one Simon as a personal aid, right? It says, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, which is what we were just talking about, right? But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. So before Paul makes his appeal in uh verses seventeen to twenty he gives he gives the reason that he desires Philemon to welcome one Simus you know, if asked, no doubt Paul would definitely reassert that reconciliation between the two one and Philemon was going to be of eternally greater importance than whether onesimus ever served you know as Paul's personal aid or anything like that again. you know he would rather have them reconciled as brothers in Christ. Then they keep him as an aid. But, nevertheless, you know, um, what do you guys think it is that Paul's asking of Philemon? Like, how does he ask, and how does he hope Philemon will respond? Give you guys what I thought about. I thought uh, with this little response here is that Paul's basically asking Philemon to forgive and to receive one Simus back as a brother, right? Paul would have liked to keep him with him, obviously, um, but he wanted the choice to be Philemon's. You know, since one was Philemon's slave, so and he was runaway, you know, he wants them to be reconciled first and foremost. And I think through this request to Philemon to receive one Simus, you know, as if it were Paul himself and to charge Paul with anything that he owed. You know, I think he's hoping that Philemon's gonna forgive him, receive him back as a brother and as a co worker and not as a slave any longer. Well <coughs>
1: um, just to add just it it just goes to show that the the how he appeals to the, his free will. So basically, for example, Philemon didn't have to do it. Let's just say Philemon would have said, "You know what, brother? Thank God that he's been born again, and thank God that uh, his life has changed." Um, but you you can send him to another person or whatever case would be. Let's just say, um, maybe maybe he could have done that. Yeah. And, uh, not, not that he holds a grudge against him, but he just says, "You know what? Um, uh, you know, send him somewhere else." Yeah. Um, or or I mean, he could kind of Yeah, exactly. Or he could have said, you know what, well, Paul, um, you know, that's good that you know he's a babe in Christ, but disciple him a bit and then um, let's see if the fruit is real. You know, I mean, you don't know. You know, I don't. I. He could have said a lot of things, um, um, but yeah, he 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 took him at his word and uh, took him in. So.